is Talk and Audio. So, Bunda, the last time you were in here, you got me kind of excited about something that I knew nothing about. And uh, we had talked a little bit about uh, this year's edition of the When We Were Young Festival. Oh, baby. And uh, I, I don't know if you saw, because obviously neither of us went, but this was a punk rock kind of indie emo festival. Like all these- 2000s, 90s, yeah, late 90s rock. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and mainly kind of leaning into that kind of pop punk genre quite a bit and, mm-hmm. and stuff that got big at that time. And- uh, day one of the festival got shut down because of uh, a sandstorm. Like <laughs> when you have <laughs> these things laugh, in the desert, yes. yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and it sucks. Like obviously, if you're holding something like this in Vegas, you have lots of attendees flying in from all over the world. So if you came in from like London or Paris or God knows where, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, we're canceling it," you're like, "That sucks, right?" But yeah, I had no idea there was a year too. There was a When We Were Young 2 coming, and yeah. that was what you dropped on me when you were in here last time in 2023. Mm-hmm. And I I got kind of excited. I was like, I have to see what this is all about. Because you dropped two bands on me at that point, and it was uh, the headliners were going to be Blink-182, freshly reunited, yep. and Green Day were going to yep. headline this fucking thing. And I got to tell you, man, next year, old Matt turns 40. Oh, baby. And there's like, there's a small party that's like, man, wouldn't that be the fucking, the, the way to, to kind of turn the page, but also be kind of like throwing it back a little bit because the lineup this time, I don't know, maybe you can pull it up there. I've got the one that just happened that we were talking about, which I think what, uh, cause I'm more excited for the lineup of next year that like when I looked at this year, I was like, all right, like there's, I think it was like, uh, uh I think Paramore was supposed to be a big part of pa- it. Paramore is in it uh, this year. Yeah, so this year's lineup that just happened, and I was told to keep an eye on it because there were reports that this could be the fire Festival. Yeah, that, that it you might know, be a total backing. disaster. And it was funny because I never heard of this tour yet. And when I got super hyped about it, it was about the next year's lineup. And I'm like, oh, and then my buddy's like, no, there's a lineup, and it's gonna, it's in two weeks. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Kind of weird that they're selling tickets and promoting a tour for next year or uh, a festival for next year when this year's hasn't even happened yet, and this is year one. Right. So I was kind of like, all right. And they had uh, when we were young, but it was My Chemical Ram- uh, Romance, yeah. Par- Paramore, AFI, A Day to Remember, Avril Lavigne was there, Jimmy Eat World is there. I'm actually a big Avril guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, so was I. Dashboard yeah, yeah. Confessional, yeah. Taking Back Sunday, Pierce. Uh, there's a lot that was happening. This year. Yeah. And I'm trying to find uh, this year. So 2023's lineup is out there now. And if you could pull that up, if you can find that anywhere, that was the one I went looking for. Because obviously by the time you were the one who told me about the 2022 event, and obviously you were just hearing about it as well. And I was like, all right, like it's pretty good. But and, like that style of music I enjoyed at that age, but those bands weren't really my bands. But the 2023 event it was loaded up and down with bands that I was big into, um, you know, around that time, around the turn of the century and, and whatever. It's, I think Phoenix uh, Phoenix TX was in there. Like I said, Blink and Green Day were in there. 
Green Day, Blink-182 are the main two. 30 Seconds to Mars, The Offspring, Good the Charlotte. Offspring, I'm huge. I was all about The Offspring. I think MXPX is in there. Yeah, Yellow Card, Rise Against. Rise uh, Against is huge. I was into them. All Time Low, yeah. uh, Sum 41, Sum Simple 41, Plan. I was big into. Newfound Glory, <laughs> Newfound Lit. Glory, I was big into. Yeah, like th- this is a... Uh, That's a loaded festival that oh, makes man. Matt go... I might have to look into this thing, right? Like that gets yeah. me excited to have all of those bands. Bowling all... for soup. Bowling Say for anything. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. There's, there's so much here and. I got a couple years on you, right? Like I'm a little bit older than you and, and I know you and I kind of trend towards the same types of music, but some of those other ones, like Bowling for Soup was a couple years, maybe after I had started to, to phase out a Love little bit. Love some Bowling for Soup. Yeah. No, I got time for it for sure, but uh, that's Punk Rock 101, right? I believe was their big, uh, yeah. Their big hit. So, um, yeah, that down in Vegas, it's it's the uh, When We Were Young Festival 2023, and you and I were kicking this back and forth on Twitter. Like, man, could we get a could we get a UFC card that weekend <laughs> man. to land in Vegas and make this like the ultimate guys road trip? And I think there was a. I think what started it was I saw a picture of the uh, an F1 track. That's right in front of all of the like the casinos and how and I yeah, thought it looked right. real badass. Yes. But I, and I'm not here to to rain or uh, on your parade here right now. It has. Already sold out. Don't say time. that. Yeah, but it's listen. Nothing is sold out. No, Matt. there's there's always just, a way. Are you going to pay more? Right. And yes. I think what uh, also so Blink One Eighty Two getting back together is what I think sparked our conversation about yep. all of this. But is something that uh, me and a buddy was you know trying to get Blink tickets and yes. we had the presale tickets and they were terrible. But they were like okay, there's a pair in the second deck on the opposite side. Kind of should Toronto be or Montreal in Montreal yeah, for like okay. I think they were like 150 and I had them now I'm like do you want to wait or and see how things go and he's like yeah let's wait and so we're gonna I'm gonna see how it is but then watching the uh, the yeah. sale come around a couple of days later on the Monday and the tickets skyrocket and it's like man 450 500 like there was six and eight hundred dollar tickets on there oh like, man it was it was nuts. crazy I think even just to get in the mosh pit or just yeah. to be general admission it's like a couple like it's almost a thousand dollars like so you're funny those concerts when we were kids. Or like twelve bucks. Oh man! And, and if you told Blink One Eighty Two that their tickets are like that, they'd probably want to kick their own ass. Right? Like, and it's like it, they, you know, seeing that, and then like you said, seeing this tour, it's like, okay, would I rather pay six hundred bucks for one ticket to see Blink One Eighty Two in Montreal, or would I want to spend maybe six hundred and fifty bucks for a festival pass, fly out to Vegas, and have a wild weekend? Yeah. You know, and maybe then, and, if, and you know as well as I do, Blink. It's a gamble that they'll still be together by next summer. Yeah. Those guys have gotten together and broken up so many times. Yeah. Um, now, there's still enough on that festival uh, with Green Day and The Offspring and, and these sorts of things for me that I would be still incredibly excited. But Blink-182, man, it's a roll of the fucking dice that they'll still be a band by the time next summer rolls around. Yeah, there's a lot on that that, like you, I, I'd be very much still interested to go. I'm not the biggest Green Day fan. Um, I, I, I'd be down to see them. I heard they put on a great show. Um, one of the top three concerts I've seen in my life was yeah. Green Day at Molson Park and Barry in 2005. It was un- unbelievable. Coming off that American Idiot album. Yeah, okay. Um, so I haven't loved some of the stuff they did in like the last decade that 21 guns and like that kind of weird stuff that I, are they still like the mains, uh, act for the NHL right now too? Cause didn't <laughs> no, they, they do seem to tag them in for every all-star game. And <sighs> no, it was machine gun Kelly who actually, uh, <sighs> he did a little punk 
rock. He did do a, a crossover I, thing. Though. I liked it. I, yeah, I no, know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. He's a very talented guy. Yeah, I, he's, I, like he's I, kind of a douchebag, but he's a talented guy. Yeah, you know what? I'll put that stuff aside <laughs> if you can entertain me. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, just yeah. a lot of the time, it's uh, music that I, I listen to, and you just you hear it, and it sounds good. All right, because I think I first heard it, I'm like, it sounds like some forty one or something. Like it kind of has that blink, yeah. kind of feel to it. And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And it's like, oh, it's Machine Gun Kelly. Yeah, like, this guy that raps over here. I'm like, come on. Album like that, a pop punk album. It was yeah. interesting. It wasn't bad. So I think he did the last NHL All Star game, yeah. I believe. So but before that, it was Green Day for like several events in a row. Didn't and they, they, they signed some sort. Yes, they did. <laughs> they, uh, pissed off Gary, no doubt. But they had signed some sort of like contract that like Green Day was the official band of the NHL. That's what I mean. There was something yeah. going on there. It was odd, man. But that Green Day show I saw back in 05, the American Idiot tour was definitely a departure or album. I mean, it was definitely a little different, but it was still pretty good. And mm. then. They still played all the the big stuff from before that, right? Like Dookie was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, all their earlier albums, they would still play the hits from those at that time. Now, what they would be like in 2022, I have no idea. I assume when you're headlining uh, a festival called When We Were Young, you'll be encouraged to throw it back to songs from when we were young, but you never know. Some bands are... Dicks about wanting to get the when I saw some 41 at Blues Fest this summer, I was curious to see what happened because they put out a couple albums the last yeah, couple of years yeah. that I was okay with, but it's like whatever. But they played, uh, I don't know, hour, hour and about 15 minutes, and they uh, they played all their old stuff, nice, all like a couple of the newer stuff off Underclass Hero, but yeah. uh, I think like that was their newest, okay, like they. Yeah. They were, I think maybe Screaming Bloody Murder was on there too, but I think like the majority of it was all old stuff and it was fun. Yeah. You know, they had the old school. Derek was looking okay. They're having fun. Yeah, it was he's like, been through some shit. Yeah, time. they all and you know most of those bands have right in yeah. the nineties, two thousands, punk and uh, rock and just true. Being, yeah, yeah, lifestyles like they've all gone through a lot. I've tried. I think I was cursed to see some forty one because I tried seeing them three times. They were one, they were probably my you know other than Guns and Roses, my other favorite band growing up. So I was super jacked up to see them a couple times. And like the first time, like Derek broke his back and I Oof. couldn't go see him. And then uh, I went to see them at Warp Tour one year with my buddies, but yeah. I had to work that morning and I showed up to uh, see Warp Tour and we're in Parc Jean Drapeau and yeah. as uh, we're like walking out of the car to get there, it's like you hear some 41 and on, they get yeah. off stage. One of the things for people who've never been to Warp Tour and it's a punk rock festival, tours around all the time, and it's a cool concept, but it can fuck you over, is mm-hmm. that they don't have a set order, right? The biggest band won't necessarily play exactly. last each day. It's a way to make sure that all bands get an equal chance to be seen and, and you can discover new bands. So, you know, the the biggest couple bands, you know, are sprinkled throughout the day and you walk in and it'll kind of say on the, you know, there's a, a big sign when I went last, it's probably on an app now, <laughs> whatever. But mm. when you show up, it'd be like, yeah, some 41 is actually playing at one thirty on this stage. And then, you know, whatever, yellow card at four o'clock over here. And, what, and so they shuffle through the times. And so today in Montreal, mm. some 41 is kicking off the day and, you know, tomorrow in Toronto, maybe they're the headliner. And then the next day in Detroit, they're back down at maybe five o'clock. And it's a cool idea to make sure all bands get equal exposure. But yeah, if you don't show up at the very beginning of the day, you may miss your, uh, the band you're there to see the most. So. And it happened, Matty. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I made up for it in Montreal. Uh, I've been in Montreal twice, and both times were, well, one was for my 18th birthday watching uh, UFC. Ooh, and then my, nice. I went back the next year to see Warp Tour to see some 41, and got there with some 41 being off the stage. I was a little <laughs> upset, but both times ended up still uh, spending lots of money and having a fun time drinking lots of beer. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it, almost a given in Montreal. Exactly. Right? I went... Uh, 
I was there in 04 or something. The Vandals were still kicking around. That was awesome, right? Oh, like man. Billy Talent was still a new thing. Um, uh, it was a, it's a cool fast. Newfound Glory was there. Anti-Flag was the main reason that I had gone there. One of my favorite bands. So okay. They were the one only band maybe missing for me on that. Uh, as we circle all the way back around to when we were young, 2023. We'll have to look again. They're probably on there. Maybe they are. But you're right. That is how this came up on Twitter. You and I were kicking it back and forth because you had posted the, the photo of, yeah, when F1 goes into Vegas next year. Uh, you know, what that was going to look like ripping along the strip and everything. And what a cool weekend it would be if. If there was a UFC, an F1, and uh, this festival, which would obviously never happen because it would totally clog the fucking city, but uh, a guy can dream. <laughs> which so. wouldn't be a, something Vegas. Actually, didn't they have the All-Star, NHL All-Star game? Yeah. And, and uh, like, what was? didn't they have a bunch going on this year? I don't know if it was all on the same weekend, was it? Yeah, the the NHL All-Star game was definitely there this year. And they did some cool yeah. stuff at, uh, you know, in the fountain there in front of the Bellagio with the, you know. Shooting the targets. Yeah, that was kind of neat. <laughs> and, and some different things like that. I don't know what else. I, I'm sure Vegas is actually very familiar with. But there was a UFC event too, wasn't was there, there as well? I think there was a UFC event the next day. Okay. Okay. I don't remember how big it was, but I think it was just a fight night. Yeah. Well, and 20,000 people in an arena there. But F1 is going to bring a couple hundred thousand, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's going <laughs> to. That's a big deal. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. As you said, man, nothing is ever really sold out. You can get in if you Nothing's want. Nothing's sold out. Really want. How much you want to pay is a different story. Exactly, man. Exactly. And who you know is another story, That's too. That's for sure. But so if uh, anybody out there has those free tickets or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Matt's turning 40. He's going to officially be just heading straight downhill after that. <laughs> Maybe want to kick uh, kick a couple tickets to when we were young over here. Uh, we'll take a look at that, but uh, Christmas is coming too, so you can ask for that for your birth- <laughs> See uh, birthday, birthday, and Christmas. Yeah. See if Santa wants to hook me up with uh, when we were young. Maybe give up drinking beer for a bit and see. Oh, easy, easy. Yeah, I, I don't want to get that far. Maybe a step too far, man. Hey, <laughs> never know what you got to do to get uh, some tickets to a concert. Uh, you paid quite a bit of attention this year, obviously following the Red Blacks, covering the Red Blacks. We're down to. Uh, the final two teams now in the chase for the Grey Cup. We got uh, your Toronto Argonauts coming out of a very weak Eastern Division against the uh, dynasty-seeking Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, looking for their third Grey Cup in a row. Um, that, what do you think of the East-West Final? I don't know how much you had a chance to catch of it. Uh, I was honestly a little bummed to see the BC Lions go down. Nathan Rourke had become such a fun story, you know, this Canadian quarterback um, being as successful as he was. Uh, maybe we'll talk about his future here in a minute because I saw you had a, a tweet about that earlier today. Mm. But, um, you know, what do you think of this Grey Cup matchup? Has it got your interest or do you expecting this to be an ass-kicking or what do you see happening on Sunday? Yeah, in terms of the Grey Cup, uh, I'm like you, a little disappointed. I wanted to see Nathan work there just because of uh, how hot of a season he had and how he was like the you know, pretty much the face of the CFL while he was uh, playing this summer. And then uh, his injury, you know, obviously was very unfortunate and put uh, BC in a spot. And, you know, the BC ties are very evident there with, uh, you know, Rick Campbell coaching the Red Blacks yep. to a great cup here, but also Dominic Grimes, who was a receiver here in Ottawa for a couple of years. Real great guy. I believe he still lives in Ottawa too. Hmm. Um, how much work he's put in and where he's come from, a practice squad player to one of the top receivers in the CFL this year. Um, so lots of ties to BC. I was hoping for them. I'm not that, not that I was against what Winnipeg was doing, but now I find myself in a spot where, you know what? 
screw it. I'm I'm down to see a three peat. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Let's see something we don't I'm always about let's see something we don't normally see. And I more than like, like I was cheering for BC to win yes. because I didn't want to see Winnipeg get there again. But now that they're there, I, I have no interest in seeing the Argos win this you know, great cup, <laughs> especially when, you know, you'll watch them a lot this year. They are not a very good team. And they just you know what? They win when it mattered. Yep. And you gotta give them the full credit for that. But at the same time, it's like, man, just watching them play a couple of times, like they're, they were, I would put in a spot where, you know, Masoli didn't get hurt, um, stand back, I guess, in Montreal. Like yep. I, you know, Hamilton, I thought it was a better team than them. Like there was, I just didn't think Toronto was one of the top teams in that it's East. funny, eh? When yeah. you were in here at the beginning of the season, we talked about that. And I kind of, at the time, I didn't think they would make the Grey Cup, but no. I kind of thought gosh, no, they were being underestimated a little thinking. Well, if Andrew Harris kind of finds it, because they, they, yeah. they brought in some old pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Brendan Banks in there. And I kind of like, you know, if those guys were to find it, you know, maybe they'd be okay. They'll be a playoff team or yeah. whatever. Again, I didn't expect Ottawa to be as bad as they were either. But now that we're here for one game, do I think that Brendan Banks and Andrew Harris could do it again? And McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who's not, to me, obviously a star, but he's a decent enough game manager, right? Like, can he's just got to be solid. I obviously expect, like everybody else, that Winnipeg is is the favorite here. But could those guys find that magic again that they've had for the last ten years in this league to, for one more game? I think they could, man. I think it, they could be interesting for in one game, right? Like in in this one off type of game. Yeah, for Speedy B and Brandon Banks, like he's a guy that uh, has come up on the losing end a bunch of times yeah, too, right? Yeah. Like he's a guy that game breaker when he's out there, but you know. A couple of tough losses in Hamilton the last couple of years. Yes. So um, now he's in Toronto, like you said, and and for McLeod Bethel Thompson, like I don't have much faith in him. Um, but at the same time, like it, it's a CFL and it's one game. Like you said, we go back a couple months ago. I was here picking the Red Blacks to win the division and little <laughs> like thinking off of one win that they could kind of you know, sure. kickstart a bit of a run and it didn't go that way, it obviously. Not, but no. you look at the way that the CFL is kind of put up right now, and it's like you never know what can happen. It's, just, it's sports, right? You never yeah. know. I'm never going to count them out, but I think that Winnipeg is just a well, their Red defense Blacks here, right? Eight, nine, and one when they beat Calgary exactly for, uh, for the Grey Cup. So in a one-off, shit happens. Oh, absolutely. And I think that this is a, a situation too where uh, for the Argos, no one's going to give them the benefit of the doubt no. here, and no one's going to be. Saying, you know what, the Argos are winning this game pretty no, hands- no. like handsomely. Like they're by far the big underdog. Exactly. So that's good for them. You know, they've got that underdog card to play. They've sure. got that. No one's talking about us, but we're here. Like you know, they have so much. Like you said, the eight, nine, and one Red Blacks. You know, uh, are uh, a team that you could look at and be like, you know what, they made the Great Cup and they won it that year after they were, you know, they were twelve win team the year before and they lost to Calgary. They came back and. Uh, sorry, lost to Edmonton, I believe it was. Yeah, lost yes. to Edmonton, beat Calgary. Um, but, you know, you just never know what can happen. And so we get to the game. I find myself wanting to see Winnipeg win more because I, I think it would be cool for us to see, you know, team win three times in yeah. a row. Like, that would be pretty John damn Michael cool. John Michael Shea's done out there. Zach Caleros, yeah. obviously. Like that and I love Mike O'Shea. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, there's... AJ was on here last week saying, just... They're, something's not quite right in Winnipeg. Keeping on as the Red Blacks are looking for a new coach. Yeah, AJ's throwing out the the hook, looking for Mike O'Shea. I think that's going to be a tough, especially if they win again, right? Like, yeah, you don't win or you don't leave winning environments like that. But uh, but AJ was was awesome out there. Maybe Mike O'Shea's the guy here in Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I guess maybe he wants to come to Ottawa, right? Sure. Just fans can uh, can uh, fans can want to win, but you yeah. look at where that franchise has come from, right? And how a couple of years ago never won a great cup. And right. So 
so long. And you look at Mike O'Shea, and I remember working a Red Blacks game on the sidelines. It's pouring rain. <laughs> it's cold. It's miserable. And he's out there in shorts and a t-shirt with his team, and he is just barking. And every, like I remember seeing a trainer come over with a coat, and he just threw the coat on the ground. And it was like, get away from me. Like, and it's just, he is such a player's coach and he's so intense and he's such a fiery guy. Yeah. And I remember growing up watching him play for the Argos. Same, and that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was what he was. And just seeing him coach, like he is such a, a coach that as a player, you just want to get behind yeah. and you want to rally for. And so seeing him and get that Win- uh, Winnipeg franchise over the hump and win back to back, I'm down to see him go for three. Like, let's do it. Like, why not? I, I don't believe uh, offensively that they are a dynamic team right. as they once were. No, they've but, lost some pieces. But their right. defense is still solid yes. and it's kept them in most games. So I think it's going to be a Winnipeg win. If you ask me to make a prediction, I'm going to I'm gonna go to that side. Um, I'm excited to see what happens and if Toronto can upset them because like I said, I feel like you're not going to have anybody talking about them this week at all. No. What most people are probably going to be talking about is going to be, you know, Brandon Banks, can he win? You know, Andrew Harris, is this his last season? What's going to happen with him? He dealt with a shoulder injury almost all year. McLeod yep. Bethel Thompson, what's going to happen here, right? There's so much going on. They have some solid re- uh, receivers that you can sure, cheer for yeah. as well. And, you know, a, a defense that's a lot, you know, I think they have Jack Kazar on there who played at Carlton. Uh, I, I can't remember the receiver, but he's also from Ottawa. So like there's a couple of like top you can follow in this game that if you want the Argos to win and, and upset Winnipeg, go ahead. The Bombers are there, but uh, you know what? I think that uh, I'm down to watch a three-peat. So you and I, we're, we're CFL guys. Does your excitement for the Grey Cup change year to year based on the matchup, or is it just, this is a tent post event I'm not going to miss. I always watch the Grey Cup. Like, What's your excitement level for this one? It doesn't fluctuate year to year. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. Uh, for me, my excitement level, I wouldn't say, like, I don't get excited early, mm. especially, like, I think the big, the times I've gotten excited early was when the Red Blacks were involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, more or less because of ties to the team and, sure. and guys knowing I know on the, the team and being around the team for a year and on the sidelines in the room, knowing some of these guys and seeing the hype around it. Well, I haven't seen them win a freaking game in years, so <laughs> I'm a little sour about things right now. But at the end of the day, um, leading into it, um, you ask me right now, I'd say my excitement level is probably sitting at about a five. Okay. Um, mainly because I don't think Toronto is a sexy team that I care to watch that much. Right. And I, I like looking at them right now and Winnipeg being there again is like, okay, cool. It. And yeah. And it's like, I, as much as I want to see them win three, I'm also like, I could, right. I could also care less. Right. You know, but I, like I said, I wanted BC to win that game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, part of me wanted Hamilton to get back there to get a chance to win another one. Right. Like there was a lot I wanted to see that I, you know, hasn't happened. So now I'm very indifferent and I'm just here to watch a good football game. I'm also going to be sour if, you know, I turn on the TV and it's six minutes into the game and the Bombers are up 14 nothing. Sure. You know what I mean? Or 14-1. Sorry, it's a CFL. <laughs> um, so, you know what I mean? I, I don't I don't want to see that. Yeah. But I, I, I also, I, I just want to see a good game. And for this, I don't know what to expect playing-wise. Like I said, I feel like the underdog card for Toronto is there. Yep. And, you know, just Winnipeg not having that dynamic offense. I don't believe Zach Caleros is an all-star quarterback. I think he's a very solid quarterback that can win you games as we've seen. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I think that they have a, quite the edge here. So as as long as the game is competitive, I'm, I'll be excited. Ask me again on Sunday right. morning. Uh, the Bucks aren't playing, so I can relax. <laughs> okay, and, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? And enjoy it. So I'll see how the game goes kind of thing. Um, how about you? Where are you at for this one? Yeah, honestly, it, it took a hit. 
with the Lions being eliminated, as, as we both said, and, and just the, the amount of fun that it was to watch Nathan Rourke. Um, but there's something, as you said, that, that kind of ramps up as the week approaches, right? or as the uh, moves through. And, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I will be amped up to see the Grey Cup. It's, it's one of those things that it used to be, I think, a lot bigger, but across the country, like people who... And I'm, I don't want to compare the two. It's obviously smaller than the Super Bowl. But people who don't watch football all year, lots of them still go out to watch the Grey Cup or still get together somewhere to watch the Grey Cup. Yeah. And I think teams aside, sure, I think it's entirely possible the Argos could step up and bite Winnipeg on the ass. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. But outside of that, there's something I get excited for outside of the teams. It's just this is one of those things Canada does on a certain Sunday in November. We get together and we watch the Grey Cup. And I, I, I'm into that kind of shit, right? Yeah. So I, I like that. Uh, and I will be watching the game. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, before we move off this, the Grey Cup was here a couple of years ago. I don't think I've ever asked you about this. What was your Grey Cup week like in Ottawa? There's a lot of parties that roll in. There's a lot yeah, of travelers <laughs> that roll in. Um, it becomes kind of the hub of Canadian football for a week. Uh, early on in the week, I didn't do a ton, but over the course of the Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, and then obviously the game on Sunday was out to a ton of events. What 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 was that week like for you? Did, were you held back by work or were you able to get out and experience the thing? Both, okay. which was uh, a lot of fun. Um yeah, it was something to experience. I was really excited about uh, one experiencing like a Grey Cup week because yeah. it was the, the you know the year before Ottawa was in it, but the Grey Cup was in Toronto. So yes. then this that year it was Toronto, but in, here in Ottawa. Yeah. Um, and going through that week, I remember working a couple days where they, we would do the afternoon show there, but then having the excuse to sit around and they turn the pavilion into a drinking area yep. basically, which is, uh, I, I also was able to cover the briar a couple of years back. Oh, so nice. they turned that into the patch. So um, that was also a lot of fun, but being there for Grey Cup week, and that was actually, you know, the, there was about a, a couple of weeks span there where um, right after that, it shifted to the Sens outdoor game, which was there. So yep. um, I did a lot of freezing, I'll tell you that much. But <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. And just there was a lot of parties and people getting together. Uh, I didn't go to so much of the uh, the fan parties as uh, I wanted to, but that was a uh, mix in because of work. But then I was able to do a lot there. And I believe one of my uh, one of my favorite memory was uh, the Grey Cup Day as being there. But uh, hosting the show as uh, myself with Graham Creech nice. and Stephen Lloyd. Uh, wow, the three of us okay, were hosting yeah. a Grey Cup show before the the big national show, but that was, I remember working with Lieber Sage. He was hosting a bunch of shows that week too, so helping him out as kind of running around. My job a lot of the week was find a player, bring him into the show. So <laughs> I was, you know, sorting through. And, and as you know, for Grey Cup week that people don't know, a lot of it is sponsorship, right? So you have, you know, here comes this guy and, you know, he's got um, a player representing a company, they're walking around, they're handing out their gear, they're kind of just doing sure. their stuff and you can grab them, pull them in here, talk about this, talk about that. Um, there was a lot, I remember interviewing Brian Burnham and he was just like, uh, he was pretty interesting to talk to and he was pretty funny. Um, Manny Arsenault as well. Oh, nice, yeah. uh, just but guys that I never knew, but I didn't know how much personality they had. <laughs> yes. And Manny Arsenault. Risk, eh? Yeah. Manny, Here's a uh, microphone, please be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just seeing that, but just seeing how exciting it was and experiencing a great cup a week was just so fun and, and seeing even I remember there was a media party as well which was a lot of fun to be a part of I think Dave Naylor hosted one right. that uh, was uh, pretty pretty fun as well but being there on Grey Cup Sunday hosting a show from the pavilion uh, with those guys I brought up Creech and Lloydie and then after 
hanging out for the game and just, you know, man, I just, I remember just getting pretty buckled for it. I won't lie. I was, <laughs> it was just a lot of fun and it's, uh, you're just hanging out there and it was cold. I it remember was cold as fuck. It, it was snowing. It, it snowed. Was, yeah. Here comes Shania ripping yeah. in with the dog sleigh. Yeah. And I remember being with Creech in the, we were in kind of a little box up in one of the end zones. Um, and I'm just, we were just kind of standing there waiting to get in line for, uh, to get to a urinal and yeah. you just hear dogs barking and whatnot and Creech is taking a music. <laughs> Shania's down there with some dogs. It's like, what the heck? And then here comes the halftime show. And it was a lot of fun to be a part of. And, uh, you know, great cup, the tradition, like you said, for Canada is such a big thing. And just seeing all the fans show up and they got their gear, you got your fan parties. I wish I went to more of them. If I, I wish I didn't have such a busy week, but it was also fun to work a lot of it and be a part of a lot of the parties as well. Yeah, we used it here as uh, honestly kind of a, was it fall 2016 or 17? It was 2017 at the Great Cup. 2017. Yeah. yeah. So this show started in like May 2015. And so we're kicking around and we're doing our own thing and and we're pulling down some downloads and it's not bad. But once the game arrives, I kind of took it and decided like this is an opportunity to put us on the map a little and use it as like a, a stepping stone or whatever. The Grey Cup's going to be here. So we'll get tickets to the game for for our guys. And then we'll use, we'll do a show every night that week. And, and you've been around here enough times, a friend of the show now that we don't, we're not a daily show, but for Grey Cup week, we decided we would be. And we, we'd get out and we'd find some people to come in like you're talking about. And so the, I think the first, I know for a fact, the first media personality to ever give us the time of day was the voice of the Red Blacks, Mr. Aaron John Jackiebeck. And hey, uh, he came in on the Monday night and, and sat and talked to us all about, uh, you know, the team and, uh, or you know, the game and, and his background and the CFL in Ottawa, all these sorts of things. Uh, Scotty Mack, Scott MacArthur was uh, in on the Friday night, I can remember. Um, and uh, he came out for a beer and then stayed for several, and actually blew off one of the media dinners to stay and keep ripping beers and talking to us. My buddy Maddie and I, we went down to, on the Friday night, the Spirit of Edmonton, uh, which was an absolute blast at the Centertown Brewery there yeah. uh, in the market. It was jam-packed. It was one of those ones that people say, like, you have to do Spirit of Edmonton. Like, there's certain parties yeah. you're supposed to do. Right? It was legendary. And then they told us, I can't remember the name of the bar, but only like a block and a half east of there was a Winnipeg Blue Bombers party. I'm like, all right, we'll go check that out. And uh, we got there and then we had to go up a couple of steps almost like if you'd gone the other direction and you're going into the Bearfax mm. and uh yeah, up, up to the top level anyway you walk in there and there's like six old guys in winnipeg blue bomber jerseys and that's it <laughs> like this is fucking lame as shit but they're like hey come on in and they started buying us shots and rounds like all right we've got an hour to kill here if they're buying right <laughs> yeah but it was not a anywhere near the same as uh the spirit of edmonton then on saturday um I expected the Argo party, which was on bank at the Barley Mow. Uh, I expected that to be a lame party because the Argos don't have the big fan base, right? Everybody always craps on the Argos fans and, um, you know, the lack of buzz and everything. But it was close to where a bunch of the stuff was going to happen around TD Place. So we went there first. It was crazy. They had a great thing going. The cheerleaders were going. They had a band going. They're handing out these, uh, you know, mixed shots. It was like blue dye and carousel or something. I can't even remember what the hell else. <laughs> Just drink whatever you Yeah, they were passing beer, them right? out for free. Yeah, fine. Hand, I'll take that. Uh, went into a Stampeders party. Again, it was only okay. And then into, into Ryderville, which was right there at the pavilion. It was awesome. Ryderville was killer, yeah. right? Like the music's going. They got a, like a video dance party going. The only part that sucked, I hate when places do this, is you got to go get in line for tickets first. And then you get like beer tickets. And then you go get in line for beer. So two lines for one beer is not a... 
I don't love that, but the the vibe was crazy. And then obviously, the, like you said, man, the game was so much fun, right? Like it, it, if you're going to the Grey Cup, it should be cold. It should be kind of snowy, yeah. right? It's Canada in November. I don't want to see, you know, rainy and eight degrees or something. I don't, I don't care. I'd rather do minus 10 and snowing than, than that. So it was fun, man. And, and we used it here as a way to kind of push the show forward. The attention was going to be on Ottawa. The media was going to be in Ottawa. And we kind of used that as an opportunity to push our own show forward and, and kind of get out in front and, and talk to people about it, have people in studio. Uh, it made a big difference for us. It was awesome to have the Grey Cup here that week for, for so many reasons, but that being one of them, obviously. So now you're asking for it to come back. Yeah, of <laughs> course, man. more, right? Yeah, yeah. We got to ramp it up again. Yeah. No, it was fun. One, uh, like I said, I, I, I admit I... Never got to the spirit of Edmonton. That's one where I've always been told you need to get to. And that's yeah. that's the one I need to get to eventually. It was just a bummer because it was spread out too much, right? Like a lot yeah. of the parties were down there right at TD Place. This was in the market. So it's a bit of a hike, right? Like we kind of decided on Friday night, we'll do the ones in the market. On Saturday, we'll do the ones at, uh, you know, down at TD Place and around in those bars and got to see most of it. So it was pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely a fun week. I think a lot of us enjoyed having it here. Uh, before we move into a little UFC talk, I did want to get your opinion on Nathan Rourke, who we both reference now. Uh, the injury was a bummer there for the BC Lions, but he was incredibly entertaining. The first Canadian quarterback to make an impact like that in, man, it's been years and years and years. Um, but there's obviously talk now that when you have a year like that, when you are that successful... The NFL is going to check in on you and, and see what you're all about and whether you might be able to help them out down there. And it would be incredibly difficult for a, a guy to turn down the possibility of maybe making a couple million as opposed to the 300 grand you might make in the CFL next year. Uh, what do you think, what do you think the odds are that he's back in the CFL next year? Or have we seen the last of him and he'll be off for greener pastures? Uh, that's a good question. And and honestly, these situations usually lie within the player. Um, for me, Nathan Rourke is only 24 years old. Yeah. I think he'll be 25 at some point next year. But you look at a guy like Hendon Hooker right now, who's the quarterback for Tennessee in, in the NCAA, and he's a top pick. He isn't going to be probably the first overall pick, but he's he's a Heisman Trophy guy right now. Yeah. He's 24 years old. So you look at the comparison here is this guy's played a couple of years of pro ball, and now he's he's gotten some experience. I believe if he wants to be an NFL quarterback – he, and you know maybe learn behind some. I don't believe he's going to be a you know thrown into a starting. We don't no, we don't see no. that often. You have to work your way up. Look at you know guys like Chris Trevler, right? He's been just hanging around as yeah. a backup quarterback, kind of gadget player for a couple teams over the years. Uh, but after he won that first Grey Cup with Winnipeg, um, for me, if he wants to, he's twenty four years old. NFL teams are going to come knocking right away. He's a big dude. He's talented. He's got great arm strength. He's got mobility. He's everything you need in a quarterback for today's game. He's got a, a cannon of an arm. And he's smart with the ball. Like he's yeah. and he's exciting to watch. So I'm not shocked one bit that the NFL teams came looking for him. He's a guy that had a bit of hype coming out of Ohio, but they're also like it's Ohio. Like yeah. he didn't play very much, yeah. and he, or he didn't play very many big teams. He played you know great, and he had a, some good stats, but at the same time, you know it's good for him to go to the CFL and get that experience because sure. if not, you're hanging. Yeah. yeah, you're hanging out now. You got game film, 
Like you got tape, and that's something where he has that edge over some of these rookie quarterbacks that you can maybe say, all right, like what am I looking at here now? Am I looking at a guy that's uh, you know has zero experience and played college ball against some top teams, or am I looking at a different kind of cat here? And you look at a guy like Nathan Rourke who played a couple like this year uh, in BC, and he he's you know I think he's been around for two years, but he's been uh, mainly just this year as a, as a quarterback you know starting for the BC Lions. Yeah. So I think that he'll go to the NFL. I think he has a uh, sights in on that, but I also think that for him to progress, I, I think he might come back eventually because hmm. I don't know if he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I hope he is, but at this point in time, I think that if you can get that kind of security to get um, the paychecks are just completely different, right? Oh, it, it's yeah. just you can sit around on practice squads for a couple of years and you're going to make tw- you know two to three times more money um, just doing that and. Yeah, than you would starting in the CFL. Yeah, yeah. And, and people always say all the time, well, why aren't guys like Bo Levi Mitchell forever? Why was he not a guy that uh, was getting looks from NFL teams? It's like, okay, he did, but he was 26, 27, and you're kind of entering the window. NFL teams like you to be, you know, before, you're like, you know, 28, 29 is when you're looking at, you know what, that's a bit old. Like right. I, from everything I've heard and read, NFL teams, like unless you're just absolutely b- like bonkers, you know, it, you have to have quite those years. And so when he was 27, 28 years old, I believe when he won his last great cup with the the Stampeders, it was like, okay, we'll look at him. And I think the Jags looked at him a bit. Right. Um, I think Mike Riley even had, uh, you know, a couple like sure. hints, but same time. I don't. Uh, I don't know. And at this point, I think that a guy like Nathan Rourke, he's going to want to get that experience in the NFL. He came up to the CFL. He had some success, but you want to learn now the NFL game. You have those. He has the tools to be an NFL quarterback. Is he going to be a starter? I don't know. I don't believe so. If I was to just make a guess, yeah. but I also believe in progression and learning and, and getting your opportunity to be yeah, out there and time. play. Yeah. yeah, you got lots of time. Look at guys like Tyler Haneke and, and whatever happens in you know Washington right now, and guys come out of nowhere all the time. You sure. look at PJ Walker right now in in Carolina, and hey, they're not world beaters, but these are guys that are starting in the NFL right now. That you know, you go back a couple of years ago, and you know, XFL quarterbacks. And it's like <laughs> you know, there's guys that can linger around. You can go up and down the rosters of. Any NFL teams, and there's guys that just hang out there. They just literally are backups quarterbacks. You're right, and, though. It, it, it depends on the guy, right? Like, yeah. obvi- if you're going to be a starting quarterback, it's a no brainer. You go to the NFL, obviously, yeah. right? Your Fluties, your Moons, these guys, Jeff Garcia even eventually would, would do that, right? If you're going to sit on the third string, mm-hmm. maybe some guys, even though you are better off financially to be a practice squad quarterback in the NFL, some guys want to play, right? Yeah. I'd rather play. I'm still making a pretty healthy living. Uh, making a couple hundred grand a year to play quarterback in the CFL. It depends on the guy. So I have no doubt in my mind, and we've already seen he's been in, you know, he's got teams lined up that want to take a look at him this offseason. Um, and I have no doubt that'll happen and he'll go take a look. And if there's a good situation where he thinks there's a chance that he might be able to even, you know, make that second string, right? Be a backup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's probably gone. But some guys choose if it's, you know, third string quarterback, you know, practice squad guy. Uh, I'm going to stay in the CFL and at least yeah. play, right? And that's the whole deal. I want to play games. I want to be the guy. And and it's one of those things. You're kind of cursed by the success of it here. If, if we talk about Canadian football, it's amazing. It's fun to see Canadian quarterbacks in the CFL being successful. That's what we want. But it's such a better representation if he, if he could do it in the NFL, right? Yeah. It, it puts Canada back on the map. It shows that we're developing good players up here. It's better for Canadian football it's better for the Canadian Football League if he's in the CFL. It's better for Canadian football if he's in the NFL. I, I might almost disagree there too okay. because I, I, I feel like 
um, if he were to pick the CFL, like, look, I know he's going to go try and work out for these teams, but if they say, look, yeah, we'll give you a, a futures contract, I believe he'll go work it out. But if he is, you know what, I don't, I don't feel it, whatever, and he comes back to the CFL and he signs for a couple years and he lights up the CFL, he could become the face of the CFL yeah. right now. Like, yeah. You look at this league right now and quarterbacks are pretty hard to find. It's not what it was a couple no, years not. ago. You look at all the days of Henry Burris and Ricky Ray and, you know, here's Bo, Le- Bo Levi Mitchell, Mike Riley, yep. you know, uh, you know, a couple years back, obviously, but Anthony Calvillo, right? Sure. They, these guys are gone now. And you look at the quarterback league, and it's like Zach Caleros and McLeod Bethel Thompson are their two quarterbacks in the Grey Cup this week. You go back a couple weeks ago, you got Dane Evans, you got, yes. uh, you know. And I don't no, even, you're right. It's it's There's it's no. Thin. There's nobody really like Bo Levi Mitchell's acquired uh, the Hamilton acquired his rights right now. Yeah, so, he's been pushed out of that starting job in Calgary. Yeah, so. it's like okay, so is this guy dropping off now, or is he going to like you know resurface here in in Hamilton if they can you yeah. know figure out what's going to happen there with him? But same time, if he's a guy that can come back to the CFL and become the face of the CFL. That'd be so huge for the league, and it'd be so much bigger than having a Canadian in the NFL, mainly because we've, we've kind of gotten to that point of we see Canadians in the NFL. It's yeah. almost like it's happening pretty regularly now. You guys see guys. But like not Jesse, a quarterback, right? No, it's just different. But that's where it also, we don't see the quarterback in the CFL no. <laughs> be Canadian anymore and yeah. be that dominant player. And I, like, I'd love to see it. Um, if he does go there, I'm not hating on it at all, but I think it'd be bigger for the CFL for him to be a starting quarterback in the face of it right. than a guy that's in the NFL. And hey, if he does go to the NFL and he's you know a starting quarterback and he's yes, I'll change my argument there, but I just I don't personally believe it's going to happen. So, if I was to get to say anything, I'd say it'd be so much bigger for him in the CFL to just, you know what? I'm going to light it up here and I'm going to be the face of this league. I'm going to be a Canadian quarterback playing in the CFL. Everyone's going to you can market around this guy. I know the right. CFL, we can all crap on it all the time probably terrible at marketing, but this is a guy you need to make sure you can market, build, and and have so much of your league about, especially when you are seeing, uh, hey, we haven't seen it yet, but we're starting to see a little bit more of it because it's coming around the corner. If you smell what the XFL is cooking, <laughs> Maddie, the XFL is coming back. And look, you had the USFL yeah. and all these other leagues, and it's starting to take away American talent. And hey, you could say, well, yeah, whatever, not, not coming to CFL anyways, but it's taking away guys that can be talented CFL players. And it's it's watering down the talent in the CFL. Whether you like it or not, yeah. you know, you, you're not gonna build the CFL off of guys that are playing in just, you know, the auto UA uh, no. OUA football. No. Like you're just not. You need to have the American talent coming up here. And now with more leagues, it's gonna have that guy who is playing at, you know, East Carolina who tore it up there and was waiting for an NFL shot but couldn't, but Okay, well, I'll just go to the CFL and play. Well, why would I do that when I can just go to the, the Birmingham Iron or whoever the hell is? Sure, play in the XFL. Yeah, I XFL. don't have to leave the like to a lot of don't these guys. Canada's a foreign land, right? Yeah, they're, they're making different money. It's a different culture. If you've never been here, you gotta pay the tax on that. Right. You gotta live up here. You gotta. <laughs> so it's a it's a different world, and so you're you're right. The more of these, you know, second tier leagues that develop in the U.S., uh, it will make it tougher for. Mm-hmm. For uh, for the CFL. Seven years later, he works as a waiter. She married a trucker, and he's never there. The story never changes. Just the names and faces, like Tommy and Gina. They're living on a prayer. 
say that? Look, we got some fights to talk about, but before we do, we got more beer to talk about. And you brought me something here, man. You're uh, you're always a good egg like that. And uh, so we got something from the uh, Blood Brothers Brewing Company. Yeah. This is a six percenter. This is a spiced sour. I'm intrigued to see what that's like. Spiced cherry sour ale. Fascinating, man. There's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack that we're going to have to see what that's all about. Uh, spiced cherry sour ale. And uh, and you've reached into the fridge there as well and grabbed something else to bring in here for the second half of this conversation. What'd you go with? That's right. I went with uh, the Wellington Brewery. I just went with a nice, uh, is it the Hell's? Heels? Helly's. Helly's Lager. Helly's Crisp lager. golden lager. So yeah. I'll uh, tone it down after the 10 percenter. There is a lot happening in this. I was, <laughs> your, your face was, all was right. I don't, know if you, it all out. I don't know if you liked it or you hated it. I'm not sure either yet. Uh, you looked surprised, you looked curious, and you looked somewhat enjoyed. Yeah. So the last time you were in here, you brought me something from the uh, Society. Society. How many of these have we had? Society. <laughs> Society of Beer Drinking <laughs> Ladies. And um, it was a, I think it was a ginger gingerbread, uh, the ginger snaps. Uh, yeah. This has got a little of that to it. Like when they said spiced, I don't know what spice I necessarily expected it would be, but this has got almost a little ginger to it. Certainly you taste the cherry. Um, but it still tastes like a beer as opposed to a straight sour. Right. And, and as you said there, it's a spiced cherry sour ale. So it is still, you know, very much carbonated. All that's going on. It's not a straight sour, uh, I'm going to have to take a full more, few more pulls on this to, to see whether I'm loving it. I'm certainly not hating it. It's, it's fascinating. There's, like I said, there's a lot of flavors going on there, man. I have a feeling the Helly's Lager may have a few less flavors yeah, in let it. Me, <laughs> let me crush some of this, but. Oh, yeah. This is nice, man. Smooth lager. I like this. Yeah. Nice and light. Not quite 10% stout, but yeah. uh, quite the difference in that change there. But um, I needed to kind of tone it down. Yeah, it's yeah, just a four and a half percent. Pump the brakes a little. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The, like I said, craft beer is so good for that because you can go from a 10% or to a four and a half and not be upset. So I'm glad uh, you like the. Uh, this is good, man. Yeah. Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost. We all know what that's all about, right? Yeah. As uh, we look back to when we were young. Exactly. When we're young, George. Yes. Uh, look, let's talk a little fights, man. It was uh, UFC. Lil, let's go. Let's get right into it. UFC 281. Uh, this past weekend, uh, you were a little less stressed out, a little less pulled in multiple directions. There was no wedding before this one that was oh, uh, going to yeah. cut you down. Uh, before the last time you were in here, uh, yeah, we were a little worried about you and whether you were going to miss the main event getting ready for a, a buddy's wedding because it was an afternoon card. This one, no such problems. And it saw some interesting results. Let's start in the co-main event as uh, as your girl, Zhang Wei Li, regains uh, flyweight? Flyweight. Bantamweight, featherweight. It's flyweight, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, okay. Regains the title from Carla Esparza. And... Look, she'd been in, in some wars before that it, 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 she'd won the fans over, even in New York city, the crowd was, was largely right behind her. And this was no contest. She went out, finished this fast. Um, they will now start looking around. I have no doubt as this being a good opportunity to return to China, um, you know, and have her headline a card there, which makes good business sense. I, I did see one stat before this fight that said the, uh, the TV channel that has the UFC rights in China, uh, in China play, 
Jesus Christ, man. I'm stumbling all over the place. The TV channel in China that holds the rights for the UFC pays about $7 million a year. And the last time Zhang Weili headlined a title fight, they made about $57 million off people signing up for that channel. So business is good right now in China, and she's a big part of that. Uh, what do you make of that fight and, and you know, what's next for her? Yeah, well, for me, I was pretty happy to see Wiley Zhang get that title. And you could just tell she was so much stronger. For Carla Esparza, I don't want to say I felt bad for her, but she was like there, she was outmatched. Yes. She was the underdog as She's a champion. Led to the slaughter. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, I, I'm a Zhang fan. Like I've always have been. It's I've uh, I've taken a lot of heat from you in this. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's uh, the women's strawweight division yes. um, okay. with R- Thug Rose. Not yeah. that I hate her, but I've I've always been on the um, Wally Zhang kind of train. So, all right, that's where I'm at. And I was, as you watch that fight, it, you know, second round submission, but, you know, she was just a monster. And for me, I think we all know that the, the next fight's coming is probably a rematch against Doug Rose. Yeah. You know, that's probably something we're going to have to wait and see when that happens. But um, if you can get, uh, the one that we're seeing right now in the UFC that I'm, I'm loving is we're starting to see a lot of first times. Right, we're starting to see the ability. So to see Leon Edwards as the champ and want to take that belt and have that card and headline, you know, another welterweight title in the UK would be awesome. Patty Bimblet, I'm sure, is going to be there. Yep. Sure, Molly McCann, you could do that kind of stuff. Have those cards there. But then now we're seeing guys. Um, uh, well, they're talking about going to Nigeria next. Nigeria for next, an African card. Yeah, to have uh, her fight in China again. Um, but as well, we're trying to wait and see. Um, to have another big time fight. And it's just like, there's so many of these big time fights where you're, you're having cards in different countries that are just going to be so much, uh, so much exciting. It's exciting for new fans because it can help grow the sport internationally. Right. And that's yeah. the thing. Like we love in Canada, we love in North America, but you need to build up the international stars. And that's where a lot of it comes from. And that's how guys like Conor McGregor are able to take over. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they come in and, and, you know, they're able to just take the world over and it's not just North America. You need to be able to have that expansion. So to have fights in China again, that'd be that'd be huge. Huge for her especially. Uh, in the main event, Israel Adesanya, one of those guys who for a long time has been in that conversation for top pound-for-pound pound guy uh, in the world, uh, goes down, loses to Alex Pereira in the fifth round. Uh, and I think you and I disagree on the nature of that finish. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, but it's a TKO in the fifth round um, after the judges' scorecards had it at 3-1, three, three rounds to one mm-hmm. for Izzy heading into that fifth round. And, uh, you know, from where I was standing and I, certainly from the broadcast side of things as well, it looked like Pareto was out of gas, right? Um, and when I talked to you after the card, you thought, well, I'll let you speak for yourself, but you maybe disagreed with that a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't buying that he was gassed. I feel like the narrative. I don't want to say like I'm like I'm this convoy guy here, but there the 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 broadcast. And I actually want to shout out to. I was talking to uh, my buddy. Uh, I was watching the fights with him, and we've. Uh, I used to live with him. He's my old roommate. Uh, his buddy's my buddy named Dan. But as a sports fan, I love broadcast. I love broadcast teams. Sure. And I, I was, we were talking about it and, you know, I know he's a very controversial subject, but Joe Rogan being back part of a main card event with, uh, DC, Daniel Cormier, um, 
John Anik. And John Anik, the three of them might be my favorite broadcast in all sports. I really right miss now. Mike Goldberg. I loved him. As Did well. you? Yeah, so, great, uh, great as well. Yeah. I, but, you know, having. I'm, I'm with you on Rogan, though. People don't love Joe Rogan anymore. I, I get the podcast thing is controversial. And the, there's nobody better at his job in the UFC than yeah. Joe Rogan. And, and you don't have to care about his politics. You don't have to care about his podcast. When someone's, when you're just watching a fight, Joe Rogan knows what he's talking about and he's mm-hmm. a, he's, he's a great color commentator. But, and the three of them just, they just work so well together and it seems so easy. Yeah. Like they don't talk over each other. They're not arguing about stuff. They're not throwing, you know, crazy, like it's just, it's just so natural with True, them yeah. and they all add certain things. Like DC, like Dan Cormier is so good at analyzing a fighter and then they'll throw in Dean Thomas and it's like, let's go Dean. It's like, <laughs> and I think the one thing he brought up and uh, I love his analysis that I've really grown on what he can add to the broadcast as well, but I just find that those three though, that team yeah. is so good. And like John Anik is just so so good. I love his voice in there. He just has that perfect like just way to call a knockout or a crazy fight. But having DC like and it's kind of like the Tony Romo effect. Everybody loves it. I don't I was never a huge Tony Romo guy because um I don't like the whole, okay, I'm going to predict this play off this formation and tell you this before it happens. And then, oh my God, I'm right. I don't really care about that. I just want guys to enjoy and have fun. But he has that excitement level that I do I do like about Tony Romo where, yeah. oh my God, look at this. I, all right, we're going to see a big play here. And he yeah. gets super excited about it. I love that about Daniel Cormier because he does get excited when he's got that experience, right? Yeah, he's been in there. He knows. And, and he can express that. Yeah, and he's breaking it down. But like Joe doesn't try and jump in over top of him and act like he's more experienced or anything like that. He he's admitted in the past that, you know what, I'm not this guy that's experienced in the in the cage. I have yeah. fight experience, but he just he drops his tidbits in when they're good. And it's just like, hey man, watch out for this eye gash. Yeah, he's bleeding hard. And it's just like the three of them together just work so good and they'll bring in Dean Thomas and um, I'll bring up the point for Dean Thomas um, as Izzy Adesanya in that fight was doing a great job of when Pereira was trying to get him in like against a cage, he was using his hand to bring the hands and use his hand and kind of swat the hands away from Perea so he couldn't really get a good groove going to start throwing combos. Mm. And it was, and I never noticed that. But then you, he pulls that out and he's like, watch, he's doing, Edisani's doing such a beautiful job of just running his hand across the top hands. And I, and I looked at it, I could never unsee that. Right. And it was just so true as every time he could see Perea's trying to get him into a corner and then just maybe tee off on him and he just gets thrown off. His vibe just gets thrown off by that little millisecond and it bought Adesanya enough time to kind of slide away from that the pressure and I thought it was such a great thing so I just wanted to shout that that I think that that broadcast team and all of sports right now might be my most favorite to listen to while I'm watching a sporting event they're just they're great and I love them so um they but they were spreading the you know what I it, you know this is Perea's first time he hasn't been to the fifth round and you know he looks gas he looks gas and I was like you know what He wasn't leaning over huffing and puffing. Maybe he was a little bit tired, but I didn't see that he was exhausted face. I didn't see, like he went to his corner, he sat there, but he looked focused. He didn't look like he's huffing and puffing and he's dying. So I wasn't feeling it. And Hmm. I felt like though, like I had, Adesanya was winning that fight. I absolutely believe he was. But my thing, I think I I noticed throughout the fight and I think I started with the entrance. It wasn't the Izzy we're used to seeing. 
I don't know if you picked up on no it. Undertaker entrance this time. <laughs> no, but it usually has the crazy entrances, the hype and the confidence. And yes. he's he came into this fight. I don't know. You want to say more focused, but I think that's the thing we're not used to seeing. Is was more I, focused or less confident? Well, that's the thing. I I feel like there was a con, there was a, a so bit of both. For those who don't know, these two guys have faced each other twice before in yeah. the kickboxing world before they entered mixed martial arts, uh, and. Pereira's won both of them. Yeah. Uh, and knocked him out de- once. Yeah. One of them by decision, one by knockout. And so there's a pass there. There's a history there. This guy has kind of had Izzy's number. And so Izzy moves into the UFC and he dominates. He, he's a middleweight. He, he climbs the ladder. He's undefeated at middleweight, becomes champion. The only blemish on his record is when he goes up to light heavyweight and gets beat by Jan Blahovich. But at middleweight, he has cleaned out the division. Mm-hmm. So a year or so ago, Alex Pereira comes in. And he's a middleweight. He's another former kickboxer. And he makes his way through this incredibly quickly. Uh, he is now that he's won this fight, um, the fastest or the least experienced, however you want to phrase it, right? Quickest road to a championship since Brock Lesnar back in, what was it, 06, 07, something yeah. like that. And that's unbelievable. Right? And so he's beat Izzy again, but this time in a new sport. And... As we went through this, it's funny you think about the what ifs, right? In that first round, they're trading blows. Pereira's doing a, a nice job. And Izzy, in my mind, TKO'd him at the buzzer at the end of the first round, right? At mm-hmm. the bell. He smashed him hard. If he'd have had five more seconds, 10 more seconds, he's finishing that fight in all likelihood, right? You can't mm-hmm. say for sure, but he tagged him hard. And luckily, it's right at the end of the round. So. The bell goes, you go back and you sit down, you get your shit together before you come back out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you'd then probably say the Pareto won round two, and then uh, I guess it was Izzy won three and four. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, even if he's not gassed, it is incredibly unlikely, incredibly unusual for a guy who's getting pushed around like that, getting, do- you know, he's being wrestled to the ground, he's kind of being outclassed. For the challenger to win in the fifth round like that, Never happens for the challenger. Here comes to Leon Edwards. Out. Yeah, you're right. You've seen it a couple times here lately, but it's very rare. And I was shocked to see it, man. It seemed very much like this was just going to end up back on the uh, the judges' scorecards late in the fifth round, like that. And yet Pareda comes out and does it again. And I, you know, we've talked about what's next. We've talked, you know, we've heard people say, would you do an instant rematch? Because Izzy has been so good and so dominant in that division. If he wants it, he deserves a rematch. There's been some people talking. Maybe he doesn't want it. This guy keeps beating me, right? Like, is this really what I want to do next? When I'm a champion, my cat, he's been the UFC's busiest fighter over the last 18 months. Izzy has, he's never turned down anything. He keeps going. Maybe the guy would just take six, eight months and just go get his his head back together and, and yeah. let uh, Pereira fight somebody else. I, I don't know, man. It was a fascinating fight, though, and I was shocked by by the ending. I, I Going into it, I wouldn't have been shocked had you said Alex Pereira's going to win this. When it got to the fifth round like that, I would have been. I was like, no, nah, it's, it's, he's not winning now. Yeah. And then there it is. Knocked him out. Yeah, and, you know, I... Well, TKO'd him. Yeah, TKO. I, I look at it in a sense, too, where I just... I said, from the beginning, he just didn't look like Izzy. 
Like he didn't have like yeah. sure he had a crazy jigsaw entrance. He had the like where he was on the it was in the video. He had the flash of the jigsaw. He had the saw theme coming in, and yep. I thought that was cool. But like no, I you know in past he's wearing the jigsaw mask. He's maybe got to ride out on a trike just like jigsaw, and he's gonna do it like and he's having fun with it. But you that's got it the, in your head. This guy's beat me twice. I can't be fucking around right now. I no, can't be making light. Right? He couldn't and, be, and that's yeah. the thing. And I yeah. just you could see it throughout the whole fight. Where the one thing I noticed a lot about Izzy is he never really had. A three or five punch combo. Nope. He was afraid to get engaged with Pereira. Yeah, he did not true. want to exchange with him. And like you said, at the buzzer though, like you said, you see the replay of it. He took a good shot, but then he Adesanya buzzes him right yeah. in the ear, boom, boom. and yeah. it stunned him. And you yeah. could tell it really affected him. He with wobbled five or ten more seconds. The, the shot to the hit ear, him again, right? Yeah, you kept going and maybe finished him. Caught him good, and that's the thing. And it was right at the buzzer, so Perea was lucky he got by yeah. on that spot. Yeah. But then you go through the rest of it, and it's like there was a you know wrestling, but and for Perea, I was kind of surprised. Like I I was a little bit more confident. I thought he was going to win this fight. I went right off the, I had him winning my KO in this fight, uh, and, and, you know, a pick him. And I also had a, a little bit of money on this, but I was making sure that, um, I thought this is a guy that just knows he's a killer. Like, this is a guy that like reading, watching some of his videos this week, this is a guy I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I believe this is going to be a great fight. Yeah, um, yeah. I believe Adesanya is sick and tired of hearing him about him lose this guy. So I was like, you know what? Adesanya has been a couple of years. He's ready to go. He wants to defend this title. He wants to defend the UFC honor and he wants to make sure that, you know, he doesn't lose this guy again. And, Pereira on the side though he's like uh, he wasn't like cocky confident he was just very confident the whole time he was stoic he just did his job and he's just like that that guy that just does that and it's like it's, uh, the video that's uh, going across the uh, uh, Twitter I think it was this couple days is um, you have as he had a Sandy saying I'm willing to die and then there's a video then you see, you see the clip of uh, Perea and it's just he's in his own language is going I'm ready to kill and it's like the difference of mentality. Yeah. yeah, you can go and die in here. I'm ready to come over here and do it. And I think the one thing I saw to is Perea was trying to find those spots. And Izzy did a great job of not allowing him to get comfortable and put him in a corner where he could tee off on him and just exchange. Because I think he he stunned him a bit in that first round where he's like, all right, I'm a bit nervous now, but I got to pick my spot. And I right. think a lot of it was, I don't want to say saving himself for that fifth round, but when he got to that fifth round, I was like, all right, this is the round where I he agree knows. with that. In the fourth round, it looked like both of them were like, we're not going to finish here, so I've got to save something for the fifth round. Yeah. Right? Like the fourth kind of looked like anticlimactic, that neither was pushing a lot because both guys knew I'm going to have to come out swinging in the fifth. Yeah, and, and Perea in his corner, they knew. Like, dude, you're only going to win this if you knock him out. Yes. So go get to it. And yeah. so we saw that. We just saw a guy pushing a little bit more, but wasn't afraid to throw. And I think that's a spot where we would have seen Izzy Adesanya, confident Izzy, throw a couple more combos in a trade and have confidence in your striking. Yeah. But that nervousness of didn't want to trade, uh, tag and trade with uh, um, uh, Perea. And one thing we saw too is Perea's a big dude. Yes. Like he is he a is big, a big big middle 185 yeah. dude he and it's funny because we had the we were going back and forth online about oh is he gonna make weight is he not he came yes. on the scale with five minutes left but then he comes in at 184.5 he's got a full pound there so i'm like is this for dramatic effect i'm not sure but you heard during the broadcast joe rogan that this guy gets up to the 220s yeah. when he's back on fight day he's probably fighting at 215 right now it's like you could tell there was a couple times where addison is putting everything he can into it and he couldn't move the guy yeah so i would have expected though in that fifth round Adesanya to wrestle more put this guy in a spot against the cage on the ground don't let him have any chances to knock you out and yeah. he did 
And it was like, I kind of surprised me a bit. Now, it's again, I go to the confidence side of things where you had a guy like Pereira that knows all I need is one or two good shots, and this guy is stunned, and I got him. Right. And it just, that's all he did was make sure he can get into that exchange. And I just didn't think Izzy was the same as you were used to seeing. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you there, man. And it's interesting when you kind of circle back to, you know, quotes before the the fight and quotes after the fight, I'm willing (laughs) to die, I'm willing to kill. They asked Pereira, if you win this, you know, do you think the right, this was before the fight, if you win this, do you think the right thing to do would be to immediately, you know, go to the rematch, right? Because Izzy... And his legacy and what he's done, will he have earned that? And he said, I don't think Izzy will want that. (laughs) And there's something to that now, right? This guy has beaten Izzy now in two different sports, three different times, Mm -hmm. right? Are you going to go do a fourth one of these? Do you really? I think when it's time, I think when he's ready, Adesanya will get a rematch. He's earned that. But whether it's right away, yeah, I'm not so sure. And one of the things that's interesting as we sit here now, I wanted to get your opinion on over the course of this year. You and I have sat here and talked about a couple different guys being in the conversation of best pound for pound in the sport right now. Izzy was one of those guys. He's only ever lost to, well, going into Saturday, he'd only ever lost having moved up a weight class. Kamaru Usman was moving through everybody's rankings. You know, is he now better than GSP? Is he, you know, in that welterweight division? And Charles Oliveira at lightweight, was had uh, I know technically the last one wasn't a title defense, but he held that for a long time. He'd been undefeated for a very long time. Is he in the discussion at best pound for pound? And all three of them in the last six months have lost. And I wonder whether or not you think that's good for the sport in that we're going to reset a bunch of, uh, of these divisions. We're going to see some new matchups because obviously most of these guys had cleaned out their divisions and there was no real reason to keep trotting the same guys out in front of them or have we lost something in the fact that you know there's no now like king of any division with the exception of maybe Alexander Volkanovsky who's now moving up a division Mm -hmm. and we'll see in Perth is it good for the sport that we've reset everything and we'll get we'll all these challengers will get a new champ to face we'll see some new fights or do we lose a little bit in the fact that yeah those, those unbeatable guys those you know kings of their divisions have all been knocked off and, and, you know, we're sort of at a point now where there is no superstar. There is no King. It's tough. It it is tough, but I like it because it brings variety to the sport. It brings, um, I don't want to say new matchups, but because the one thing that it does bring is as much as we say it's good because, you know, it it changes things up. We're not seeing the dominance here, but we're going to now see a lot of rematches, right? I'm not sure. Like Makachev is now, you know, the one thing I don't like about this is Makachev's first title offense is coming against Volkanovski. I love Volkanovski. I love it. And I believe that he has the chance, if he could win that fight, to be their next international superstar guy. That Right, um, so Makachev just beat. Oliveira. Yes. Just became lightweight title. His first title defense yes. is a cross division fight with Volkanovsky instead of giving someone else in that division a chance. Which is a very, arguably the most 
uh, deep it division is, in the UFC. Sure. Like yeah. it just, and you can argue, well, the, all these guys have had chances. Yeah, but none of them have fought Makachev yet. No. Or he went through a couple of them, but he hasn't fought any of the top dudes yet. Like this was his, his first huge test. And he kind of went around some of the, on his way up. He Absolutely. didn't have to fight Gaethje. He didn't have to fight. Absolutely. Uh, some of these guys before he got his title shot. So now instead of Makachev having to defend against the second, third, fourth ranked guys in that division, he's going to take on, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, who's down a weight class at featherweight. And you're like, that's a, you know, it's a great fight, but it didn't do shit for the lightweight division. No. And that's where, like I said, and I love Volkanovsky. I, I don't like when we see these, it just bothers me a little bit when we see guys jump up and want the two belts. Like yeah. it, it kind of gets me to a point where it's like, all right, like it's cool and all, but it's also like, I don't, I don't love it for Volkanovsky. I feel like he's earned this one because of his division. Like there's a couple in that division. that's like, okay, Arnold Allen sitting there. I believe he's a guy that can have a, you know, a big title he fight. He kind of got soon. boned here this yeah, week. Yeah. Bryce Mitchell, you know, he's a guy I've been high on, but you know, he's lost a couple fights. He has a fight coming up next month against Ilya Tapura. And those are two guys that are um, pretty much undefeated and only have one loss in Bryce Mitchell. So there's some guys that are in there, but they're not there. So I'm okay with him jumping jumping up because I didn't like the Usman one where he hasn't even fought Leon Edwards yet. And he's talking about making a jump up into the next. And it's right. like, so that goes back a couple months at welterweight mm-hmm. tomorrow. Usman is getting ready to, yeah, to fight, um, Leon Edwards. Yeah. And he's talking about, yeah, if I win this one, my next one, I'll move up to, to middleweight and face Izzy. Mm-hmm. Well, Leon Edwards beats your ass. And now that shot, a the, the, the super fight is gone, but be the, the shine's gone off. Usman now because somebody's beat him and whether he was looking ahead or not or whether he just got beat that's up for people to decide for themselves but yeah I'm kind of with you that it because at the same time that we're going to see the featherweight champion in Alexander Volkanovsky face the lightweight champion at Islam Makachev in Perth in February on the same card we're going to see an interim featherweight title fight because the featherweight champs off doing other shit in the lightweight division like mm-hmm. it holds up the division I get it. Every now and then when you've really earned something, right? When there's two stars, like back when they, they used to keep tantalizing us with Anderson Silva versus GSP and they never pulled the trigger, right? They never did it. But both of those guys were legends. They'd cleaned out their divisions. They'd been doing it forever. Makachev's not that guy. He's just won his title now. Yeah, you're going to have to clean out your division again before you get to do these super fights, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and we saw it with uh, Izzy and uh, Jan Mokovic, right? And yeah. it kind of felt like the UFC, and I feel like the UFC's been doing this for a little bit right now, is they're trying to push for that that stu- like that two-belt two champ, right? That yeah. kind of international star. Yeah. They've been struggling to find it. They have guys that are all kind of hinting at it. Izzy was there. And then he lost to Bukovic and it wasn't even close. Yep. Like it wasn't even close. No, and you're right. That was a push where I get it that there wasn't much for him to fight in that division, but it was kind of like Bukovic had just won that belt. Yeah. And it's like, all right, the first fight he's really going to have is against a guy who's middleweight. And it's like, it's kind of a slight. It's like, you know what? Bukovic isn't the sexy guy to have the belt right now. Yep. So let's try and see if we can give a, a two belt star. And it's like, you'll never hear that narrative coming from the UFC or Dana no. White, but he, you know, he wants it. So for Volk here, I, like I said, I, I think he's put himself in the spot where sure. You can do that for him right now, 
But I feel like it would be better if it was Charles Oliveira. Yeah, it I would, for sure. Yeah, and so we're looking in that spot right now, and especially when you see, you know, we didn't even touch on the Michael Chandler versus uh, Dustin Poirier. That was Dustin awesome. Poirier, yeah, awesome. And, you know, that I went in. Such a good fight. That was the only fight I think I went into where I didn't know who I wanted to win because Michael Chandler really earned my respect when he fought Gaethje, and it was just like a monster fight. Yes. And I'm like, all right, like I was on the favor of Gaethje there because I love watching Gaethje fight, but at the same time, it's like, all right, like I didn't know who to win here. Uh, I wanted to win here. Yeah, but love Dustin. Dustin. In, but Chandler's a warrior, like what yeah. But I also found myself by the end of this fight losing a lot of like I don't want to say respect because I, I still respect him as a fighter, but losing a lot of like uh, I just I found like he really ruined that fight for himself. Like there was a chance in the first round Chandler, for him to abs yeah for yeah, Chandler. Yeah. There was a chance in the first round for him to kind of put Dustin away, and Dustin admitted after the fight, yeah, I was hurt there. Yeah, and he goes for a level change. It's what true. are you Dustin doing? Poirier when- did say he throws these hooking punches and if he throws a straight punch I'm probably fucked but yeah. but these wider swooping punches gives me enough time to kind of react he goes I was out of it I was hurt I was stung yeah and guys aren't normally that honest and Poirier was and he goes if he just just thrown a couple straight jabs in there mm-hmm. I'm probably going down well and, and like I said he's got him against the cage and he's teeing off on him but then he all of a sudden he jumps down for a level change yeah. and take him to the ground it's like what are you doing you yeah. are throwing you haymakers were, you were killing him finish yeah. the fight yeah finish the fight like even on the ground like yeah. a couple times it's just you see this is a guy that doesn't have the fight AQ and uh, you know just hearing you know the broadcast but reading and it, it's been his knack Michael Chandler's knack has been his fight IQ, and you could just tell in that fight, Dustin Poirier weathered a storm, came out, and then was always calm. Like, we, I talk about Izzy's confidence level. Dustin is a guy that can go through a war and just still be absolutely composed. And what happened in that third round? You know what? All right. He just wrestled me. I lost that second round completely. I did nothing that second round. He got up, and he just came into that third round, and he stopped the takedown. Yeah. And then... Made sure he just turned a takedown attempt into him getting on top and then him just finishing the fight. And it's just like, that's a guy that's experienced and talented. And I found my, and like, you can go back to, you know, Chandler having his full hand in Poirier's mouth, trying to rip it open. It was kind of weird. And it's like, what the hell are you doing, Chandler? It's like, there's a lot going on there. And I'm like, all right, I don't know where Michael Chandler's future is. And hearing him talk, if he lost that fight, he doesn't know if he's going to finish out his fight, uh, Mm. his fight contract in the UFC. Like, he's only been here for, what a year, eighteen. Yeah, but months. he's older. He's in, I, I think thirty eight. Sure, he, he'd had a lot of fights there in Bellator and whatever, but he came into the UFC and made an impact right away. Yeah. Let's try and pull this back around because you you and I get too excited and end up way off the rails here. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what we were talking no, about. No, exactly. But I, so I, I so that let me in. let me reset this again once more. When you see Izzy go down, mm-hmm. Usman go down, and Oliveira go down, and all of those kind of top stars who have been dominating their division for a couple of years now, good for the sport or bad for the sport? Good in some senses, more good than bad. I'll put it that okay. way because yeah. it, it's tough. Because like I said, now we're remarkable gonna... names that are no longer on top. But at yeah. the same time, you did reset these divisions. You get some fresh matchups here. Yeah, it's, I, what do you do with it now? Well, that's the thing. I, well, and it's not even what do you do with it now. It's where do these fighters go from here? So we brought it up with Kamaru Usman, right? He had never been tagged and hit like that before in his career, right? And. You just got a leg kick knockout by Leon Edwards, who he had a great first round against Kamara Usman, yes. but then got, you know, he was mopped the floor with him. And then all it took was that one kick, the setup, and like, you know, the clip of his, his corner just screaming in his face. Sounded like, you know, Rocky <laughs> back in the day with Mickey, and it just, he was in his face and he got him going. How does Usman respond to that fight? 
How does he get back into the octagon? And how does he perform next in a rematch where we're assuming we're going to have against Leon Edwards? Yeah. How does he fight? That's what you want to see. Is he Adesanya? Is he a guy that shies away from it, takes some time? You know, we've seen it. Ronda Rousey, perfect example. Someone who never got touched. No. And was the queen and face of the UFC. Like, she was everything. Yep. And Holly she, Holm comes in. Boom. Takes her out. No. And that was it. Two losses and she's out. Now she's a, I don't know, wannabe WWE champion. Like, yeah. it's like, uh, well, you know, it, it can affect you in so many ways. Losing and getting knocked out affects you so big. It can either throw off your timing. It can throw off the way you fight in a, in a you know, trading punches. It just, it throws you off completely, but it's how you bounce back as a fighter. So yep. that's where you could see guys lose and they come back to it. You know, that's what made Oliveira such a great, you know, fighter is he's not a guy that just was a Johnny come lately. He's been in the UFC for like, you know, 10 years yep. and made his way back up. At one point was eight and eight. He was eight and eight yeah. and went 11 in a row, I think. So when we get down to it, I'm okay to see these guys lose, but it's where they, it's what happens next. You know, this Perea just go on this absolute terror right now, and is he the, the scariest, most pound for pound uh, fighter right now that he just beat? Is he at Asanya? Like, is is this he is a- wild to me that we've seen all three of them go down in like six months? For like sure, it. it, it I, I don't think I've ever, and we've barely seen Kamara Usman fight. Was, and where's Francis Ngannou been? Oh, sorry, like, yeah, yeah. Our, our heavyweight champ hasn't fought in. It's got to be. It's well over a year. We well, fought. Did he not fight earlier this year? But he he blew out his knee. And now he's trying to get healthy again. Or was it this year? Or was it last I year? Think it was last year. Yeah, right. we're 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 on a spot and where then he was he was already battling with the UFC over his contract and all mm-hmm. this sort of shit. Too, they were just going to run him right out of the the company. But those are because honestly, I, I'm not that interested in what's going on at light heavyweight. Like, there's nothing there that's you know. I think the next one is being headlined headlined by Teixeira and. Uh, I can't even remember now, but that Procasa, yeah. But I like the co-main event on that fight because we're finally going to see. Um, there's a big fight in the co-main, and but sorry, I'm in the middle of looking up, um, and that's fine. Like, take your time a little, but just as we kind of run through it, the heavyweight title has been dormant forever. The light heavyweight title isn't all that interesting at this point. The middleweight champ just got finished, and we have a new guy there. The welterweight champ just got finished. We got a new guy there. And the lightweight champ just got finished. We have a star coming there. They Everyone assumes Islam Makachev is going to be huge, mm-hmm. but he's fighting uh, Volkanovsky, who's the champ at featherweight. So those are both tied up at the moment. Like at the top of these divisions right now, it could be great. It, it very much could. Maybe, like you said, maybe Alex Pereira at middleweight takes off now. And he becomes the new Izzy, right? He becomes a star. He becomes the, but it's very uncertain right now. A lot of these big names are either dormant or just been finished, and the shines come off them a little. I think they're they're turning the page here at a lot of divisions all at once, and then that could go in a few different directions. But they they did just have um, the second highest gate in Madison Square Garden history mm-hmm. uh, for this card in New York City. Uh, back on Saturday night, and the first highest gate is also a UFC event. So the the company's hot, like the promotion is hot. People mm-hmm. care more than they ever have, and um, even if it's going to be some new names, the brand, the company is hot. But it, it, it's a fascinating time to see when you look across those divisions that I just ran down. There's a ton of uncertainty all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. And so yeah, the last fight that uh, Francis and Gano fought was in January. Before that was March of 2021. So January this year, he defended his belt against Cyril Gone. Hurt his knee, hasn't oh, fought yeah, since yeah, then, yeah. and we don't really know when he's going to fight. Like it, his knee injury happened, but 
like where it's probably going to be next year, but we've been waiting to see John Jones. Where is he going to fight? Yeah. Like he's a heavyweight guy that, you know, the rumor is right now that Miocic doesn't know if he's going to fight or not. Right. And Dana White was getting into it with a reporter after the, uh, the card who wanted to know what is the status of your heavyweight division. So that's one where, okay, like what's going to happen there? Light heavyweight division, 282 is a big, a big card for it because it does have Glover Teixeira who is in the, in the corner for Perea. And it's like, all right, this guy, it's like, I don't know how much I want to see this light heavyweight title belt, but you know, Prakaza here, like you know, he was he was a monster. Share versus Brahashka to me is just not that interesting. Yeah, I, it's whatever. The co-main though is Bokovic versus Ankalaev, and Ankalaev has been Ankalaev is going to be fascinating. Yeah, he's been screaming up that division, and yeah. a lot of people are saying he deserves the next title shot. Also on that card is Patty Bimblet. There he's he your boy. Yeah, and Bryce Mitchell as well fighting uh, Ilya Tapura. So a lot there, but in terms of just like you said, just having all these guys losing right now, it is good to bring in new fighters right now. And like I said, I think the guys we need to keep watching out for is. It's going to be Volkanovski and yeah. what he can do in, in Perth in that 284. Like, that's going to be huge because if he could win that fight, which, you know, I'm sure, I don't know what the betting odds would be on that yet. I haven't looked them up, but like, I'm curious to see who the favorite is because Volkanovski is a champ here right now. But everyone that's watched Makachev knows this guy has been a beast yes. and they, no one's really been able to kind of handle him yet. So I'm curious to see who's the favorite in that fight. But that, the, like, that's a guy right there who can become your international star. Yeah. Imagine him winning in Perth, like in Australia. Like, this is an Australian, He's an Australian fighter. And, and give me the, okay, this guy is, you know, Fighting it, you know, in a in a he's going to move up a weight class. It's a guy that used to weigh two hundred and twenty five pounds yeah. as a rugby, rugby player. Yeah. Like I don't need to hear that. Like this is a monster. <laughs> and Volkas is a great, smart fighter, fight IQ, and he has it all. And I just his dedication, everything is right there. So we're we're as much as we're seeing guys lose. It's like all right. So how does Usman fight next? How does Izzy fight next? And are they just passing the torches? Like, does Leon Edwards go on a bit? Like, we saw from Aljamain Sterling. Mm-hmm. Look what happened to him. He yep. had a DQ win over Peter Yawn. Yep. And then all we talked about was, yeah, he didn't deserve that. He was losing that fight. Peter Yawn has kind of gone on a downward spiral. And, you know, and Aljamain Aljo's Sterling, off and running. he came back and fought Peter Yawn. He beat him that second yeah, time. And sure he made he sure he beat him. Yeah. And, you know, and then he went out and made sure that he took care of TJ Dillashaw because all the guy does is cheat and <laughs> act like an idiot. I don't like TJ Dillashaw <laughs> at all. No, because uh, I, I was always a no-love fan. So Cody Garbrandt, when he <laughs> lost to him a couple times because he was using steroids, TJ Dillashaw, um, you know, I was I, I don't like him because of that. But, no, we, we see these guys lose and what happens next. And that's where, like I said, Aljamain Sterling – came in and used that loss to fuel that people were saying you didn't deserve to win that belt. You didn't deserve that. And he came back and Jan went and destroyed Sanhagen and then came and lost to Sterling. And then now he's lost to O'Malley. And it's like, all right, well, Peter Jan, there's rumors he wants to get out of the UFC. So it's like, all right, what happens next? And are you really fueling the fire for your next stars to kind of come yeah. through? So Aljamain Sterling, you know, he's a guy, it's like, who does he want to fight? Does he fight O'Malley? Does he fight, you know, somebody else in that division right now? And you know, does he continue to go on a bit of a run? Like we and, that, kinda, and that's all I'm saying is it's a yeah. fascinating time, right? It is fascinating. because it, We're say turning good or, the page in many of your biggest divisions. Yeah. You say good or bad, but I feel like it's, and like I said, there's more good there because it's so fascinating and it has people talking and that leads to UFC fans and non-UFC fans talking, right? Yeah. We're talking about Izzy Adesanya, who is outside of the UFC, is a well-known athlete you know, in North America right yeah. now. We talk about guys like Kamaru Usman, who the same thing. He's well-known. And these guys losing has people talking about, like, oh, so the next fight, the rematches, or their next big fights, 
that brings in casual and non UFC fans. So it's good and bad because it takes away your your guys. It gives them a loss. But we're used to seeing that. Look at GSP. You know, we talk about oh he's a goat. You know, the guy lost to Matt Sarah by Matt Sarah. Yeah, like it just you you lose one, you get tagged. But how do you come back from it? And maybe like I said, like maybe this Perea guy is going to be the next killer of the freaking UFC. Like this guy looks like the real deal. He's got some serious power. And in that middleweight division right now, if Adesanya comes back and wants to fight him and he wins again. It's like, all right, now like you just put yourself in a great spot. So I love it because it kind of it adds maximum chaos. It adds fascination. And I ultimately believe that it leads to bigger rematches if that's what happens. Like look at Figueredo versus Moreno. Like and now they're on their fourth. Yeah, they're <laughs> gonna have their fourth fight here. And it's like, I'm all about it. I love it because all it's done is like I look at that division, it's like, okay, some of the fights are there good, but at the same time, it's like those two need to keep fighting because they're putting on wars and they're kind of going back and forth. You've had draws, you've had a win, and then you had another win. So it's the like- next two. I'm a bit bummed on two. Uh, I'm down on two eighty two and two eighty three. They don't look all that interesting to me. And and so those are the def- December and January cards. Uh, February Volk versus Makachev. I'll be all in on that. It's funny when you look at the scheduling. Uh, it's going to be in Perth, Australia, but mm-hmm. they've decided to hold that ten p.m. Eastern. Uh, start time so that it'll be like 11 a.m. Sunday morning is when the fight will happen in Australia. Mm-hmm. Big stadium full of people. At uh, it's just funny that they don't really give a shit about you know these other countries. Uh, when they went to Sweden last, I think the fight card started at four in the morning. Like you, mm-hmm. you show up in your country at a time that suits the North American East Coast. It's, yeah. It's a bit of a weird. Well, we've seen, we've seen Abu Dhabi and Fight Island, right? That was the way it was at the beginning, but now they keep, now they're, they've started to honor, hey, you know what? This main yep. event will start at two. <laughs> no, you're right. And that was great. It was 2 p.m. over here a couple of weeks ago. And so that was fine. But I, last I read on that Australian card, it's going to be 10 p.m. Eastern. So that's yep. like I said, Sunday morning over Australia yeah. for, uh, you don't even have time to get drunk yet. You're going to have to get up at. 9 a.m. Crack right into oh, her. You can go all night. And start, you know what I mean? There's, you can always find a way to get drunk, Maddie. You're right. I'll I appreciate that. that about you. You're uh, There's always a way. Nothing's ever sold out as you uh Nothing's sold earlier. out. And there's never, you could always find a way. You just got to believe, Maddie. Yeah. Uh, anything else you think we should cover on this one, ma'am? Man, we could talk about UFC all day. I just, uh, I love the sport when, where it is right now. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Like I said, uh, we, we, I even mixed in my Chandler stuff. So for right now, uh, all I could say is, uh, that, uh, I am, I, you know, I, I love the where the UFC is at right now. And I am curious to see how things, you know, kind of go in the next couple of, uh, weeks. I am looking at 282, mm-hmm. um, and 283 as, you know, potential. I think 283 is still waiting for another fight to, to be added it to it. To be. It's a soft card right now. Yeah. But 282, I think has a pretty decent card. Like I said, I, I I'm a big Bryce Mitchell guy, um, and Patty Bimblett's on that. So you've got two right there. Robbie Lawler's as well on that. Robbie Lawler still out there doing his thing. Eh? Yeah. Alexander Gustafson, he's on the prelims. Darren Till, my boy, Biggie boy, Joyzinho Rosenstrike, <laughs> he's on the, he's on the prelims as those well. Are some, all of those guys you just mentioned are names who have been on main cards yeah. before and they're on the prelims here. And I look at that main card and to me it's not that strong. So I, to me I might just be watching the TSN uh the prelims there. I, yeah. I don't, I don't blame you at all. In 283. And you normally, I can normally count on you to come up with a link anyway, when it comes time to, I don't want to buy it. I've got yeah. buddies named Cody that can help me out as uh, <laughs> one, one of my friends used to say, but yeah, no, I think 283, we're waiting to see a main event uh, be put in there because our, our co-main, because you got Figueredo versus Moreno yes. and that's four. 
and that's going to be in uh, Brazil, Rio, Rio de Janeiro. That was the other card I was mixing up um, yeah. um, where we're starting to see. And I love that it's going to be in Brazil because, one, there's so many Brazilian fighters. But I love that we're starting to see. I'm waiting to see another Canadian card come back as well now that these uh, you know restrictions. COVID restrictions are kind of somewhat lifting. But yeah. I don't know where we're going to go. But I love that we have the talks of you know Zhang having a, a championship fight in China. We're having Divius and Figueredo in Brazil. We're going to have how's Leon Edwards in the UK. Could you get him on the card that fast? That quick? Could you get that turned around? To do in January twenty first, the end of January. It didn't look like he took a ton of damage. Like any fight it depends on who off. you're fighting for, but I doubt it. Yeah, I do too. But I've seen it floated around out there. Could you get him on that Brazilian card? I doubt uh, if it, it's not going to be Izzy. I'll, I'll put that out there no, right off the bat. No, no, you're no. not going to get Pereira no. to fight Izzy because it just doesn't make any sense. And so who else could fire up a camp fast enough? And yeah, and especially in that middleweight division, I don't know. We haven't. I saw. Um, that you have uh, what's being worked on right now. Actually, you know what? You'd ask me what I want to, to touch on right now. Yeah. I do want to touch on our boy Hamzat Chumayev trying okay. to come at our freaking boy Pereira. I saw you Pereira. take a run at him on Dude, Twitter. go away. Like, uh, one, you just barely, you didn't even make weight and you were talking about it because you were injured and what that, and you're going to come say that you need a title shot against Perea and I get you can move up from welterweight to middleweight. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, this guy is a killer. He is a middleweight that ultimately though. I think he is, but then go fight someone in the middleweight division first. Yeah. You know what? No, like I'm this guy, that, just fight, yeah. you know, you've been fighting in the welterweight for a he little bit. He tweeted that right after the win on, on Saturday and you took a run at him. Going, we're starting. Get, get yeah. out of here. <laughs> no, and I, no hey, shot. I like Samsa Chamayev. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, this is a guy that's joking around. Around, not making a lot. Like I feel like, and, I, and we're seeing now. I think Dana White confirmed um, that we're going to see, and that it's being worked on. Is Hamza Chimaya versus Colby Covington, oh, which I think would be a good fight. I got time for that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think they're working on that fight to be because um, I don't like Kobe either. No, so I, I mean, I, don't, I think he, I think he's more of a gamer, and like he's more of a he tries to play up his bad boy side than he yeah. is a real bad yeah. boy. But uh, I think she may have made maul that guy. Yeah, I think that might be a fight that they're working on for two eighty three. Walter Wade, eh? they're going to let him try that again. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. And, and so him jumping in there saying, "Oh, give me the middleweight fight." I don't know about that. If you can maybe <laughs> get Hamzat Shmayev to want to do that, I don't know where Perea sits if he wants to fight that. Maybe he does. Do uh, I don't know. I just won the belt. I'm not fighting Shmayev next. It's my first. Yeah. Fight. But that's the thing. It sounds like this guy just doesn't care. Like I think he, like this is a guy that looks like a version of Hamzat Chimaev in terms of knockout ability yep. and yeah. strength. But also, he's not the you know what what, what we've seen so far from Shamayev is he gets the mic. I want to kill everybody. I do this. I'm coming for every belt, and he just kind of seems so crazy that everyone's talking about him. Well, we need to kind of I don't want to say temper the expectations on him, but it just all right, the one thing I've liked about Perea is he, he's very calm. He's cool. He does his thing, but he's also super confident. Like I said, he's just a killer out there. So yeah. I don't see him trying to rush back into the octagon as much as that fight card is in uh, um, uh, Brazil. And Rio de Janeiro, I, I think that's really cool. I don't know if that's going to be the fight there. I maybe say if you can get Covington in there that you can maybe have a big fight there. But I think Hamza Chumai versus Colby Covington might be sitting in that spot right now. Right. If that happens. Yeah. No, and that would be interesting as well. So, um, But we'll get out of the middleweight division until you fight I, in at Hamza. But for me, the next uh, the next month or two feels a little soft. And like you said, we'll see what 283 um, looks yeah, like. When there's they, enough on that, though, to say that we're not as hype about it, but then we're all going to be talking about it, right? It's always the way it goes when it comes up. And, and those are the I ones that always, bought it, those right? are the ones to pay off too, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, something it turns wild out happens. Be, exactly, man. Exactly. So, uh, this was fun, man. I, I'm always glad when you come in, we can have a couple pints, kick shit around. There was lots to cover today. 
we'll do it again soon. Uh, we'll try and get you in here. Well, for sure we'll get you in here at least once more before Christmas. We'll uh, uh, Around the holidays, I like to try and get the keg fridge mm-hmm. fired back up because there's a little more company ripping around, right? And uh, going to have more peppermint beers for me or what? <laughs> See what we can do. <laughs> Not that I'm requesting them. No, no, no. I know, but it's. I the, was in a surprise today. Yeah. No, you're right. And and this time of year, you know, your mint stouts, your peppermint stouts, these sorts of the sweet stuff kind of rolls out a little bit. I like that. Got a bit of a sweet tooth. So uh, we'll wind things down here. Thank you so much once again, my man. Uh, he is on Twitter and Instagram at SteveBunda91. We'll put those links in the show notes at tallcanaudio.com. Uh, we're on Twitter for as long as it remains standing. It appears to be being held together by elastics and pipe cleaners at this point, but we're at Tall Can Audio there. Uh, for Steve Bunda, my name's Matt Robinson. We will catch you all next time. Did you just say that? I said it's too big, contagious.